I'm Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine-year-old daughter with dyslexia, who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our life seemed to turn upside down for a while, quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey friend, welcome to episode 54 of the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Holcomb, here to educate you on dyslexia and coach you to find clarity to develop a blueprint to equip your child to thrive with dyslexia. For our children with future plans to attend college, the ACT and SAT are an important part of the admissions process at most colleges and universities. Okay, wait a minute. You may be thinking, Nicole, (laughs) I can't even worry about college admissions right now. I'm just trying to get through day by day. But if you're not worried right now and you think that can wait till high school, well, that may be a mistake, especially for our children with dyslexia who may need accommodations for testing. So I encourage you to listen to today's episode, regardless of what grade level your child is currently in or your current situation. It's so good for you to have information to inform you on future decisions. And if you need to, go ahead and go to the website, dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 54. You can actually pin the episode to Pinterest, and then that way you can always reference and go back to the podcast whenever you might need to review this information. So let me tell you a little bit about ACT and SAT. First of all, when I worked as a high school counselor, I worked really closely with testing agencies, and I actually was the the counselor that was in charge of administering the ACT and SAT to our students and to students in the the area that would uh, register and take it at at our location. And I would assist students also with completing the request for accommodations for testing. So that's not changed, although it's been a minute (laughs) since I've been in a high school. uh, That's not changed. All the requests for accommodations still goes through your school if your child is enrolled in a school. And so I would assist with that. And it was so hard to watch students struggle without the accommodations that they needed for testing. So I'm going to share with you today what you need to know about college admission testing so that you can plan ahead, even starting in elementary and middle school. If your child is already in high school, I'm going to share with you too how to set your child up for success. You can find today's show notes that will have all the links to the college admissions resources at dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 54. This is going to be a lot of information, it may seem like, and so please know that those resources will be there. You don't have to take notes. If you want to jot down notes, that's fine as well, but I'll have everything that you need in the show notes. So we're going to talk specifically about the SAT and the ACT. And depending on where your child is considering going to college may depend on which test um, you choose for your child to take. And sometimes it depends on the types of things that they're testing and how they test as to which test you you choose to go uh, forth with. But I want to tell you just a little bit about the testing itself as it relates to requesting accommodations and why that's important for you to know today. So did you know that the SAT actually provides testing accommodations in the following ways? They provide extended time, 
They provide extra and extended breaks. They also provide reading and seeing accommodations like large print test books and things like that. They also provide computer accommodations, which can be so helpful for our students that are used to that assistive technology. And they also provide four function calculators as an accommodation. So let's talk a little bit about the types of breaks that they provide. They provide breaks that are extra, that meets the needs of students who have been approved. And so these, the standard breaks are usually about five minutes and they're, they're in a given schedule of times. But students who get accommodations for breaks can have extended time between sections or subjects, sometimes, you know, about twice the standard time. So it helps them have a little bit more time. And also students for the SAT are also provided the option to request extra breaks for medical conditions, so for diabetes and things like that. And students can raise their hand to let the proctors know that they need to take a time out, to take a time to take a break. And when students are ready to continue, then they notify their proctors and then their time picks back up. One of the things I thought was interesting, I spent a good bit of time in preparation for today's episode reviewing the current information that was on the websites for SAT and ACT. And the SAT um, actually provides computer accommodations for language-based learning disorders, and they specifically called out dysgraphia. And so they actually define dysgraphia as a type of disability in which students have fine motor problems that affect their writing skills. They also state that poor handwriting is not a disability. So you are going to need to have that particular accommodation. If you need it, you're going to have to have documentation of that. And we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like in a minute. So to be eligible for uh, an accommodation on these college board exams, uh, specifically the SAT is what we're talking about, a student should have documentation that shows evidence of a disability the functional limitations of their disability, and the need for that accommodation. So did you know that the SAT is going to request information from your child's teachers? They actually have forms that they use that the teachers fill out and submit. One is on observation. They ask them for observations of your child's disability and how it impacts them during class. They even go as far as to ask for specific examples. They also ask for fluency and severity of of those symptoms that are displayed during class time. Another piece that they're going to ask teachers about is the accommodations that are used in the classroom currently. What specific accommodations are used by the student during classroom testing? And they're going to ask for the teachers to indicate which of these accommodations are used on a consistent basis. And SAT is also going to ask about extended time that's used. Is the student provided extended time for classroom test? How much additional time do they receive? to complete, and then they ask them about specific types of tests, okay? So when you look at the SAT and ACT, they both have, you know, different types of testing within them, including writing components with the SAT. So one of the things they ask the teachers for extended time for the SAT is they ask, do, does the student have or need additional time for multiple, to- multiple, toy, multiple choice <laughs> test items? That sounded like a mouthful. So multiple choice test items. And then other things, other question types like short answer questions, essay, math problems. And they ask them again to indicate the amount of additional time that's used for each type. And then they ask about how does the student generally use the extended time? Do they use it to complete the test, to review the test questions, to take breaks? How does the student use that additional time? And then finally, the other piece that's on the current 
teacher survey is they ask about the impact. They want to know, they want the teachers to describe the impact that's provided when they have accommodations, how that impacts the student's performance. Does the students use the accommodations effectively? How does this change his or her performance on test? What happens if accommodations are not provided? So these are some of the components that they ask in the teacher survey. And SAT says specifically on their website that the student must have a documentation of their disability, such as a current psychoeducational evaluation or a report from a doctor. And this type of documentation is needed. It really depends on the child's disability and the accommodations being requested. And that information must be submitted to the college board. And I actually put this in quotes because I wanted you to, to, to hear this right now up front, which is this. SAT says... The student must demonstrate the need for the specific accommodation requested. For example, students requesting extended time should have documentation showing that they have difficulty performing time tasks such as testing under timed conditions. So why is this important? It is important because SAT is telling you right out of the gate that you have got to show, your child has to show, the school has to show that there's a demonstrated need, which makes sense, right? There needs to be a need for that specific accommodation requested. The reason it's important that you know that now is many times families may even be discouraged on accommodations or may not want their child called out in class and things like that as far as, you know, pulled for uh, extended time testing and things. If you don't have those things in place, then SAT is telling you we're not going to approve that, okay? Uh, They also talk about, although there's some exceptions to the fact that students who receive an accommodation in school or have an IEP or a 504 plan that includes the accommodation do not automatically qualify for the accommodation. So they still have to be approved and provide documentation. But the student's history, that's why I said today it's important for everybody to listen to this one as far as this episode, the student's history of receiving accommodations in school and the information provided by the school are really important to the College Board's review of the request for accommodations. So the College Board is the one that administers the SAT, and they're going to look to see if the exams differ from, you know, they're going to look at the types of testing the student has in school and the type of testing they're providing, and when requesting accommodations, schools and students should consider whether those accommodations are used for classroom testing are really needed for the specific College Board test that they are taking. For example, it could be the writing component. The student really needs that computer accommodation, okay? So we're going to get a little bit more into this in a few minutes, but why I say it's important even in elementary and middle school, the more history that you have of the accommodations, especially the extended time and how that's being utilized in the classroom or is so important. ACT and SAT really look at that, and I've seen students be denied. I mean, yes, it's been a minute since I've been in a high school, but I have seen students, and they say on their website, they will deny a student if you request extended time, and let's say you've never had extended time for your child, or maybe that was in first grade and never again. So it really needs to be that history, and they look at about three years is usually about the guide mark, 
but I don't want you to rely on that. If your child's in elementary and middle school and needs extended time and needs those accommodations, then make sure you have those on the record. And if a teacher says, oh, I'll just do it, you still need that on the official record so that the high school counselor who fills that out will be able to see that and provide that information. Let's talk a little bit about the ACT. So the ACT actually has testing accommodations for extended time, you can actually, your child can test over multiple days if needed. And they also have uh, alternative test formats that include audio and readers. And a student can request a scribe or computer for writing the test or for extended time on the writing test. Did you know that the ACT reviews a request for accommodations based on your child's history of an accommodation? We just talked about that. So the school is actually going to process the request and send it directly to ACT or, you know, SAT, whichever one it might mean, and they're going to make that decision. Those, those companies will make those decisions. The school doesn't make those decisions, but they provide the information, the history. Did you know that the ACT has a process to request testing for students who are not enrolled in school or homeschool or virtual school? So if your child is not currently enrolled or at the time they, uh, let's say at the time that they request accommodations from ACT, they actually have a, at this current time, they actually have a process, which is called an exception statement form, and I will link that in the show notes, where you can request accommodations. If you currently don't have those accommodations or, you know, you don't have an IEP or 504 plan, let's say your child is homeschooled or you're doing something different, especially during COVID, you're able to request an exceptions uh, for that as well. And just like we talked about with the SAT, the ACT also considers current classroom accommodations, those testing that are in class and those state testing, and they ask teachers to also fill out a survey. And currently, the survey looks a little bit like this. The ACT will ask teachers to complete a teacher survey for what they call other information that supports the student's need for ACT testing with accommodations. They have on that form about 16 questions. A couple that I think would be good for you to know right now are, are these. So it says, in your course, does or did the student, and it's, it's kind of what they call a Likert scale, so always, sometimes, never, those types of, of uh, check boxes. But they ask them, did they do any of the following things? Did students keep working despite distractions? Did the student request extra time for assignments? Did the student in the course request extra time for test? Did the student have difficulty working in group settings? And did the student finish work on time? Those are some of the questions. Like I said, there's about 16. That's just a few just so you kind of get a flavor for the types of questions that they're asking. They're not looking at just the documentation. They're looking for the implementation. So if you have extended time as needed on your IEP, and on the for the accommodations and the student never requests that especially in the high school a lot of times in middle high mostly high school the teachers are going to rely on the student and if the student is too shy or just doesn't want to be called out and they say yeah I'm fine I don't need that have a conversation with your child because that will impact whether or not they possibly could get denied for ACT or SAT. So if they have that on their IEP, they also have to be implementing it in the classroom to actually qualify for that accommodation. Of course, if they don't need it, if it's as needed and your child doesn't need it, it's fine. Go forward and you don't need an accommodation, but the accommodations are available through ACT and SAT. Accommodations um, you know, that are supported, they look for... Um, 
uh, well, what they look for as far as ACT is they look for documentation showing that you have a professionally diagnosed disability that substantially limits one or more major life activity. They use the accommodation, the student uses the accommodation in an academic setting like we were just talking about, and that's typically demonstrated through an educational plan. And so just that's what they're saying on their website. So they are looking for the plan, and they're looking for the action in the class. You're using the plan in the class. But according to ACT, if accommodations, this is a quote from, I pulled off their website, according to ACT, if accommodations are not needed to access the curriculum at school, it is unlikely they will be granted for the ACT. So again, if you have accommodations that are either not there, let's say it's not part of the plan, or if you have accommodations on the plan that are as needed and your child's not currently using them and has not had a history of using them. So for example, if your child's taking the ACT in the spring, you can't all of a sudden November of that year decide you're going to do accommodations. I mean, you can. You can make an argument for why you're just now doing that, but it's going to look like you're doing it for the reasons of, possibly requesting accommodations for the ACT or SAT. So you're going to want to show that history that your child has had a history of not only having the accommodation, but also utilizing that accommodation. If your child just qualified for you know eligibility, that's different. But if your child's been eligible for a number of years and that's not been part of that accommodation, then the ACT is really going to look at that. So I want you to know that early on. And if it needs to be that it's extra time as needed, and then you talk to your child about which courses do we think you need that extra time? Is it going to be the writing piece that they're going to have trouble with on the SAT? Is it going to be the math computation? Because now that some of the tests have kind of refitted and reformatted their math, some of the math is really heavily reading induced. And so a lot of it is reading passages and then they're doing the math computation So if that's the case, then maybe you make a strategic plan with your child to say, okay, I get that you don't want to ask for, you know, extended time. But in these two classes, we absolutely have to establish that so that you can have those accommodations on the ACT. This is going to be especially important if you're looking at specific schools that are requiring specific test scores. And luckily for us, some schools are really loosening up on the whole ACT and SAT requirements, but others are still not. So you need to be, you know, thinking about that as well. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So, requests for accommodations for ACT, they say those have to be appropriate and reasonable with your documented disability for your child. And again, it's been provided that there is accommodations that have been provided in that academic setting. So, to show that whether those requested accommodations met that that criteria or not, they're going to look at if accommodations have been provided, like we talked about, in a plan. If, if no, if no accommodations have been provided, then you have to include a detailed explanation of why they were not provided and why they were not used in the past and why accommodations are needed at this time. So all hope is not lost, right? So if for some reason you did not have an accommodation and you had a good reason for that, then you can put that out. Maybe, you know, when I gave the November example, maybe for whatever reason, your child was not identified till ninth grade and or maybe 10th grade. And as you're starting to get exposed to some of these pieces and your child's taking these, these standardized testing, it could be that maybe you haven't had enough time to have that documented. And so you can go ahead and provide that explanation. 
Now, what's interesting is both of these uh, companies provide very specific information about learning disabilities, and ACT is no different. They actually call out dyslexia, which I was so glad to see. They say for the ACT, it falls under what they call learning disabilities. It's kind of a larger um, category there. And that you have to provide for that. They have actually their categories listed out and what you have to provide for each one. So for ACT, I'll run through this very briefly so you kind of have a flavor for what to expect. So it says that the applicant must provide results of age-appropriate diagnostic testing performed by a qualified professional within the past three years. So that helps you too, because when you're thinking backwards again, you know, where's your end goal and then working our way backwards to where you are now, if you are, let's say your child's in the ninth or 10th grade or eighth grade or whatever, and you haven't had a current psychological done and the school has offered to do one and you've declined that, you might want to reconsider that because they're going to look at what is what is the information that's currently available within the last three years. And it has to address the following, they say. A description of the presenting problem uh, is develop, the developmental history, relevant education, medical history, a neuropsychological or psychoeducational evaluation, and that's going to re- include results of intellectual assessment and, let's see, a result of the complete achievement battery, uh, the specific diagnosis, of course, and the evidence of alternative explanations that are ruled out, and descriptions of the functional limitations supported by the test and a rationale for a com- test accommodations specific to those functional limitations. So they are looking at, ACT is looking at what was the most recent psychological that was done. Was it done within the past three years? So it gives us an indication of the current functioning of the student. And then what testing accommodations specifically were provided to help with those limitations? So it makes sense if you think about it, okay? And I do want to share with you a couple others. They also talk about, they have specific pieces they're looking for for ADHD and ADD, because as I know, many of our students have more than one uh, learning difference. And so for some of us, you know, you may also be looking in those categories. And that documentation is the same. They're looking for qualified professional in the past three years. They're also looking at, for why I wanted to call out ADHD and ADD is because they're also looking for an original diagnosis. They want to know the date and age and the grade. They want to know the symptoms and the course of treatment. This is interesting. They want to know evidence of childhood onset before the age of 12. Well, that's absolutely going to be before high school, right? And so they want to know and see that there's a history of symptoms of inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, and They're going to want to look for evidence of current impairment. So they're looking for evidence of a statement of presenting problems. Is there academic failure, significant struggle, you know, relationship, behavioral, poor social functioning, uh, a diagnostic interview? They're going to want to look at those pieces, and they're also going to want to look at relevant testing as it relates to the functional limitations of the student. And so they're really, for ADHD, they're looking for that specific diagnosis, And then they're looking for, again, how that impacts the learning. 
And finally, I want to share this last one with you. It may or may not be um, specific to dyslexia because I did notice that dyslexia for ACT, they specifically listed it under learning disabilities in the larger group. I've also put a link in the show notes so you can see all these because there's more than just these couple I'm reading to you. There's many uh, that they that they that they have listed as far as the disabilities that they. Um, that they review, and so you need to know those different evaluation components. But they also provide a speech-language disorder, and I thought dyslexia would have fallen there, but for whatever reason, it did not. They also look, when they look at speech-language disorders, ACT also looks for that qualified professional providing that diagnostic result of an evaluation in the past three years again, they for them for the spe- for the speech I must say specific <laughs> for the speech and language disorder. They, again, are looking for that specific diagnosis and the description of the presenting problem. They also want to know the developmental history, that relevant educational history, and they want to know the results of speech and language assessments. Here, though, they also add in the expressive and receptive language and communication skills. So I guess if you maybe have an expressive, uh, written expressive disorder or things like that, verbal expression, then it would fall here maybe. And then they want a description of the functional limitations, again, supported by testing and recommended test accommodations specific to those functional limitations. So if you think about it, the best way to summarize those pieces are that ACT and SAT are looking for evidence, right? They're looking for evidence because they don't want students to have necessarily an advantage for accommodations, which we all know that's, that's not the case, but they, that's their, their, their thoughts about that, right? Not, not just anyone can ask for an accommodation. So they want you to have the child to have a, a uh, professional diagnosis of whatever it is that you're, you're requesting accommodations for. They're wanting to know that the student needs testing accommodations in the area of testing that ACT or SAT is going to be testing. And they want to see that there's a history of using those accommodations in the classroom uh, for assignments, for testing, and that that is showing to be, you know, a, an effective tool for the student. So they're really not going to just look at paperwork. They're going to look at those questions they ask the teachers. They're going to look at historical records to see, you know, over the past few years, when was the student first eligible and what types of accommodations were provided and how do those accommodations relate to what they're asking for today? They are not, again, ACT and SAT said on both of their websites, they are not going to approve an accommodation that is not currently on their IEP or their 504 plan, all right? So, but they also, I know SAT allows you to do an exemption. So if there is a reason around that, then you can put that in there. But they really are looking for documented accommodations and how that is playing, you know, uh, out in the classroom. So let's talk about a few action steps. The first thing I would say is document, document, document. Your child will need to have accommodations for testing in class and state testing to be eligible, like we just talked about, for ACT and SAT. Now, like I said earlier, in the past, that review has been about three years is how far they've looked back. But the more documentation you have, even in elementary and middle school, of those accommodations that you're going to want to be thinking about, which for most students, the extended time is huge for those types of testing because it it gives them, even if they have those anxiety around testing, it gives them that additional breathing room. And if they're still struggling to, to, to make sense out of the written word, it's going to give them time for that. So be thinking about that. So even in elementary and middle school, they're going to be, you know, if they're going to be looking at was their eligibility and did the student use those accommodations. 
ACT and SAT are both going to require documentation for that specific accommodation based on a documented learning difference and that your student is currently being provided that accommodation. Just said that. But, you know, there is good news because you don't want... Um, you know, you don't want the very first time your child has extended time to be during a high stakes college admissions test. So this really is in the best interest of your child. If you think about it, the, the student needs to have experience with what extended time looks like. How does it work? How does it feel to be in a different location? Some students that have, I know when I worked with students, when we would have the ACT in our building, I would have students sometimes over multiple days test. And so they would be pretty much isolated to themselves or one or two other students. And so had they had that in the past, what does that look like? They want the student to be successful. So they also want the students to have had experience with those pieces and that that accommodation worked for them. So your child needs to be comfortable with that accommodation. And this really is to assist students with documented differences that need those accommodations. You know, like I said earlier, they even said on their website, you know, the accommodations are not intended to raise a student's test score or to assist the student who does not have a disability. So document, 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 go ahead you know, create that uh, that notebook uh, that you that I know you have, or that folder where you put in all your information and keep that current as far as accommodations and IEPs and testing that you have done, samples of you know of, of written work if you need that to submit as an exception. So once you have that, you're able to go back, and if you can go back even beyond three years, that's just even more documentation that should help you with the process. Number two action step is educate. Educate yourself on what is offered and what is required. So I would recommend when your child enters middle school and then again in ninth grade, review the ACT and SAT websites. Determine what accommodations are being offered so that you can then align school accommodations to prepare for the college admission testing. Now, you're not going to go in and just say the ACT provides this, so I want this. It needs to be that it would benefit your child for the learning difference that they have, okay? But I want you to know that, you know, not all educators, especially middle school, may even be thinking about ACT or SAT. So you could talk to them about, let's try extended time. Would extended time help with with assignments and whatnot? And so I just want that to be on your radar. And then, you know, I'm recording this in, you know, January of 2021, If it's a year out, two years out, three years out, a lot of this information will be the same. But I also, as you get closer to testing, you need to be familiar with the websites. I have the links in the show notes so that way you can go and see what the current accommodations and requirements are. Now, the good news is, if you want to call it good news, some colleges and universities, they'll offer optional testing. And so so if your student has anxiety or stress or doesn't perform well on these types of standardized tests, You'll know because they'll have the same struggles in their state standardized testing that they have at schools. And so some colleges and universities don't require ACT and SAT scores, while others have a heavy emphasis on them. So again, we need to educate ourselves on what's being offered and what is required, not even by ACT and SAT, but by the colleges that our child or our children are interested in. If the ACT and SAT are required by some of the colleges that your child is considering, then a few things that you can do is help your child by having your student review practice tests. There are lots of practice tests. There are resources on the websites for practice tests, practice booklets. If your child needs the additional help, then your student can also take a course. There's, you know, there's, there's lots of really well-known courses out there like Kaplan and things of that nature who provide 
opportunities for practice. I took those, uh, I took some of those courses when I was studying for the bar exam and it was a tremendous help because I took those in timed locations under testing conditions and I was able to practice and that really did help take the anxiety off because once, once we go to take the test and once your child goes to take the ACT or SAT, they've already practiced under time settings with the exact types of questions and that will really help take off some of that anxiety as well. And if, you know, if, and for some high schools, they actually offer courses and tutoring for ACT and SAT. So be sure to ask about those or have, you know, have your high school student ask about those as well. Have those on your radar. And then thirdly, request accommodations early. And I know I said earlier in the podcast, request accommodations early, like as soon as your child is eligible, but that's not this this third one, although that's part of the process. This third one is about requesting accommodations early from ACT and SAT. The SAT says that they take mm, approximately seven weeks for approval. So they recommend if a student is planning on taking the SAT in October, then they recommend that they start the process in the spring of the previous school year, well before summer break. So if you have a, a, a student in high school already and they're thinking that they're going to be taking that test in October and that's right on path as to when their school counselor is recommending it, then they need to go ahead and request accommodations in the spring. That means in just a couple short weeks or months uh, if you're listening to it in, in January of 2021. ACT also requests that that students request for accommodations and they actually have an appeal process too, but that those pieces be submitted before the late registration deadline. So there's actually on their website, I'll put a link, but it could change based on if they change their links for the school years, but you will see on the ACT's website, they will have the testing dates of when you have to register for the ACT and they will have what they call late registration deadline. So you want to you want to get everything in early and then if there's additional information that they need, they're letting you know that has to be submitted prior to late registration. So you want to make sure you get everything in ahead of time because they also say that accommodations uh, are not available for standby testing. So if you're not, if you're not familiar with standby, a student can sign up after the late registration, I believe it is, can sign up for what they call standby. And I had, I had a good bit of standbys when I used to administer the ACT. And what would happen at the high school site was they may send us five extra tests or they may send us 10 extra tests. It depends on how many tests you're asking for in general. They will send you additional what they call standby testing. And you will have a list at the school level. We'd have a list of standby students. And so as student, as you had those extra tests or if you started the test uh, now, this is a while back, so I don't know if they still do it this way. It used to be that if, if you had students that didn't show up, then you would have additional testing and you could slide in those standby students in a standby classroom. Just kind of depends. But they're letting you know up front that if you miss those windows, those deadlines, and you register and say, okay, my child will just do standby testing, they're just going to go take the test. They are not going to process that to be able to provide accommodations. And the reason for that is you've already missed the registration window. You've already missed the the late registration window. It just doesn't give them enough time to process that request. So in summary, ACT and SAT are those admissions tests for colleges and universities that can impact your child's admissions to the college of choice. 
If attending college is part of your child's master plan, maybe their blueprint, then planning ahead is the key so that your son or daughter will be eligible for accommodations if needed. Now remember, today's episode is based on current information available on the ACT and SAT websites and my experience as a high school counselor. If you're listening to this episode in the future, be sure to go to the show notes at dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 54 for links to the ACT and SAT website resources. I know when you're starting out on this dyslexia journey, you may be thinking, Nicole, I'm just trying to figure out today and tomorrow. I can't think about college admissions. But you know what? You will arrive to a destination. But if you're not planning for it, you may end up in a destination destination that you didn't intend. Why not have a blueprint for your journey? I'm finishing up the Dyslexia Battle Blueprint course that will be released soon as part of the Dyslexia Parenting Academy. Click on the link in the podcast description or at the dyslexiamomlife.com website to be added to the wait list. And as a bonus, you'll be added to my weekly email club for updates on the podcast and dyslexia resources. Have a great week and remember, you got this.